We are unbelievably detached from nature in our society, and we are living outside of nature. And when you live, in my opinion, outside of nature, you can't really connect to the soil, the air, all the, the different things that, that we need to survive. How has media coverage of sustainability evolved and shifted over the last decade? And how can we continue to support its presence in mainstream narratives? What was it that instilled in us this idea that living sustainably is all about sacrificing things we think we need and want, rather than about gaining things that can truly enrich and better our lives? That's just the tip of the iceberg of what you'll hear today. To sign up for Green Dreamers Sunday newsletters, which include positive news updates, key takeaways from our weekly interviews, and a preview of who you'll hear next on the show, just head to greendreamer.com. For now, to our episode. Let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast for creatives, visionaries, and entrepreneurs dreaming of a sustainable future. Thank you for bringing your light. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. Our guest today is an award-winning environmental journalist and the founder of The Eco Hub, which is one of Canada's leading resources on sustainable living. Her career spans national and international media outlets, where she's produced and reported on various environmental and climate issues for outlets including Huffington Post, The Globe and Mail, The Weather Network, CTV, and more. She's also currently the national eco-expert for the CTV's number one daytime talk show, The Marilyn Dennis Show. We've been internet friends for quite some time now, and I've learned so much from her uh, in these past years, so I'm really excited for you to hear her story and vision as well. Green Dreamer starting off with what inspired her passion for nature, here's Candice Batista. I think for me, I kind of grew up in in an environment that really nurtured and cultivated um, love and appreciation for the natural world. I, I grew up in South Africa, and I was very privileged as a young child to go to safari and see natural or animals rather in their natural environment. So I had a really deep appreciation for just how tough nature was and that whole thing of, you know, survival of the fittest. And you really get to see that up close when, when you're, when you're um, seeing animals where they're supposed to be. My mom was also heavily involved in animal rights and activism. And I think it's just kind of ingrained in my body. I had a very um, eco home. My parents always recycled everything simple back to our roots was kind of the way I grew up. My grandmother always said, poor people can't afford cheap clothes, something that's stuck with me for a really long time. So I think it's just kind of in my blood. It just was finding a way to marry my love for the planet, my love for animals into a career in journalism. Was there anything in particular that sparked your interest in uh, becoming an environmental journalist in particular? Actually, yes. I started my career. I, you know, growing up during apartheid was really, really interesting um, in South Africa. And, and although it didn't affect me directly, you know, it did affect a lot of people around me. Um, so I got to travel quite a bit as a as a young child and I, I as a young person, and I got to see a lot of really interesting things on television, things that I wasn't seeing at home on television, and that's mostly because of censorship and government propaganda at the time. So you really only saw what the government wanted you to see. But I traveled to Australia and Canada and the U 
U.S. and I got to see a very different side. So I kind of fell in love with journalism and the news. So later on in my life, I decided to, after finishing a degree in environmental studies, I thought, okay, well, I need to kind of look at broadcast journalism. Like, how do I get all this stuff that I know now out into the world? So I went back to school and got a degree in broadcast journalism and started my career at the Weather Network. While I was on the Weather Network, so the Weather Network is a large television station here in Canada that talks about the weather. And I talked a lot about climate change. What really sparked my interest was I started to learn about migrating uh, patterns in Africa. And as the if you look at how Africa is right now and where the equator is and just desertification, so looking at how how much hot weather, how hot it was getting in parts of Africa and it was getting hotter and hotter and how that was affecting the migration of large animals like elephants, giraffes and and smaller animals as well. And it was really at that time where I started to have a deep understanding of climate change, like actually, you know, not the political term that people tend to associate with climate change, but really looking at changes in the climate and how they were affecting animals. So from that, I started to do a lot of research and I just uncovered this amazing green movement um, in the city of Toronto. I couldn't believe that people were covering this, uh, you know, organic food and green skincare. And we're going back now probably about 16 years. Hmm. I just thought, wow, I need to start covering this stuff. So I started covering a little bit of it for the Weather Network. And then I wanted to do my own TV series. So I left my job at the Weather Network and I created a television show called a greener Toronto, which basically looked at how Torontonians were fostering and facilitating environmental stewardship in a number of different ways. It was a very grassroots show and very uh, grassroots movement uh, based. And that's kind of how I started. It was really those kind of things coming together for me many, many years ago. So you started talking about this when not a lot of people were publicly talking about this, especially uh, in regards to broadcast and TV and stuff. How do you think this was received by your viewers? Was this something that people wanted to learn about, didn't really know a lot about, or what was that like? I think from a mainstream television perspective, people didn't really have any interest in in learning about it. I think I think the media has done a very poor job at educating the public as to the really the big issues around, you know, global warming, climate change and pollution and air pollution and all that kind of stuff. The show that I produced, it aired on a very local channel, and I think it had it had really great viewership from a, a very local standpoint. But I don't think people were as open to ideas of zero waste and mitigating waste in the home then as they are today. Mm-hmm. Back then, I learned very quickly because the more I learned and the more I kind of saturated myself in information, the more scared I got and the more worried I became. And as a result of that, that I started to at first be very kind of preachy, like, oh, you shouldn't do that. You know, you shouldn't be recycling that. That's not recyclable. Or, you know, that's really, really toxic. And I, I, I was also, you know, much younger than I am now. And I realized that people don't really want to be preached to. So I, I really switched my approach very quickly. And I approached it more from an education standpoint, like, hey, did you know that every piece of plastic that's ever been created still exists in the world? So kind of approaching it from from that perspective. 
And then I found back then it was very hard to push and promote eco products because there were so much misconceptions and there still are around the effectiveness of green cleaning products as an example. So we've come a long way. I think social media has definitely played its part. It's it's definitely helped people like you, people like me, you know, other people in the space to really raise awareness and uh, allowing also for companies like non-for-profit organizations or NGOs to really show people what's actually happening in the world. So I have noticed a shift. It has gotten easier and easier. The thing that really surprises me is sometimes I can't believe I'm still talking about this stuff. Like I can't believe in this day and age, you know, 18 years later, I'm still trying to convince somebody to carry a reusable water bottle. On some level, there's much more awareness. People are much more into it. But then on the other, on the other side of it, people don't want to put themselves out to change their behaviors. So I see, I see very much both sides of, of the coin for sure. Mm. And how about right now? So what's your current greatest challenge uh, in helping to inspire public engagement and action? Oh my gosh. I think, I think the problem is, especially in a country like Canada, you know, Canada is a very privileged country. Like we do have issues for sure. There is racism. There's, there's eco-racism. There, there are things that have happened to our Aboriginal people that are horrible and we haven't really made amends for that. You know, so in, in Canada, people have, lots of people have income. They have money to buy things and toys and clothes and shoes and organic food. And lots of people don't, but lots of people do as well. And I think the biggest thing for me is that people think that going green means that you have to change the way you live. That's something that I still struggle with trying to convince people every day that that is not the case, that it's almost like the convenience of things that we have accessible access to, like plastic being one of them, as an example, it's super convenient. It's super versatile. You know, it's understandable why it's used everywhere, but it's, it's trying to convince people on the effect that it's having on the planet. And I think, I think until people actually see it happening in their own neighborhoods, until it's, until you either have to start paying for it, where the government says, okay, you know, we're going to start charging you now to try and get rid of plastic waste. I don't think that we're going to see like a massive shift. Mm. Not very positive, but, and it it does bother me every day because sometimes I, I wonder to myself, like, why am I doing this? But the little things do make a difference. And I think it's also important to mention that to your listeners is that, you know, it is important. Like what kind of legacy do you want to leave? Do you want to walk away saying, well, it's, I'm, you know, that company is going to continue making, you know, plastic bottles. So whether I stop using them or not, it's not going to make a difference, but it, it will make a difference because it's really supply and demand. More people that stop using something, the less likely is likelihood is that that company will continue to make it. And to help us understand how we can better convey these messages across to help uh, shift perspectives in the future, what do you think has been one of your personal most impactful segments, articles, or projects that you've done? I think the television series that I did had a massive impact. You know, I did that show for eight seasons and I covered 
everything from green beauty to uh, plastic pollution to uh, fast fashion, fast food, you name it. So I think when I when I look back at that, um, at that time, you know, broadcast television was kind of the bee's knees. It's not it's not so much anymore. Like broadcast television is competing now with YouTube and social media. But at that time, you know, a, a television show that wasn't accessible online because there wasn't really online like Facebook had, I think it only been around for about a year, you know, so it was really utilizing that voice on broadcast television. So I had a much more, I had much more people watching the show because they couldn't find this information elsewhere. I think also I did a documentary series called Global Footprints. Each series looked at a different issue. So for example, we looked at transportation, the transportation industry, its effect on the natural world, and then the innovative solutions around that. We looked at factory farming, we looked at fashion. So I think those kinds of things where you can really show people this is what's happening and this is what you can do to take away from it. Right now, I work at a national television show here in Canada, Canada's number one daytime talk show. And I I do realize when I'm on that show, the subject matter is usually very well received. And I usually get a lot of emails and and stuff about it. So it it makes me happy that people are seeming to want this kind of information. What do you think you did in particular or... Uh, how these past projects were conducted, what do you think it was that made them so impactful? I think part of it is my passion. I think people can tell when you're doing something because you have to or when you're doing something because you're really passionate about it. And as a journalist, it's really important for me to show all sides, you know, to get different perspectives and, and let people make up their own minds my personality and just my passion for the environment. I mean, I really couldn't imagine doing anything else with my, with my, with the voice that I do have. So I think people really resonate with that. And I I think that goes for everybody, you as well, or anyone is that when you're passionate about something and you love something, I think people want to be around that energy. They, they want to take that information in. Yes, I I feel it in your voice right now. Um, (laughs) And also with your passion, it led you to starting the Eco Hub, which is uh, Canada's leading resource on eco living. And in this, I read in your bio that you said, quote, I want people to learn about the human effects of climate change. And I want people to know that you can live a simpler, greener life. You don't have to compromise anything at all. End quote. Can you expand on this piece about not needing to compromise? Because I feel like that's a misperception and a roadblock to getting more people to enter this space is feeling like it's all about sacrificing. Yeah, it's and I don't know where that started. That was definitely started either by a large company or or even the media could have started there. This is really a, a misconception that drives me crazy because really there's nothing further from the truth. And if you think about when you think back on how your grandmother lived as an example, everything was very simple. You had your milk delivered, you went to the butcher. Most likely he was already connected with the farmer. You know, you knew where your meat was coming from. I think part of the problem is that we are unbelievably detached from nature in our society and we are living outside of nature. And when you live, in my opinion, outside of nature, you can't really connect to the soil, the air, all the, the different things that, that we need to survive. So I think that's the first problem. The other problem is just the misconception that going green is more difficult, it's more expensive, it's going to change the way I I live my life. It's simply not the case. You know, I've been using a great example is 
I have not used paper towel in my house for over 18 years. I learned about the effects that paper was having, specifically toilet paper and paper towel was having on the natural world. Here in Canada, we have the boreal forest, which is an old growth forest. And we have very large pulp and paper companies that are allowed to go in and clear cut massive amounts of forest simply to wipe our tushies. You know, to me, that was such a crazy statistic. So I was like, you know what? I'm gonna try and just not use paper towel. And yes, the first week was difficult, but it wasn't difficult because I was trying to use a greener product. It was difficult because I didn't have the right system in place. So when you use paper towel, this is a very, very simplified example, but when you use paper towel, you spill something, your your brain is like, oh my gosh, I need something that's readily available to wipe it up and throw it away. If you're using cloth instead of paper towel, you really need to have like 10 12 of those in key areas of your home. So it's having a dozen in the bathroom, a dozen in the kitchen, a dozen in the in the in the kids playroom. And I know that sounds um, excessive like oh that's going to cost me so much money. It's going to actually save you so much more money in the long run because the average Canadian is buying about four rolls of paper towel every single week. It's about 10 bucks a week. When you add that up over a year, that's a significant amount of money. If you buy uh, microfiber cloths in the car section and not the home section, you'll pay way less with them. Sometimes I think it's like five bucks for a hundred. Super cheap, super affordable. So when you have a spill, you open your cupboard and you have those things there. They're accessible. You can grab Grab them. You can wipe up whatever it is you have to wipe up, rinse it and throw it in the wash. It's just these small little shifts in habits that I think people find very overwhelming because they think it's much bigger than it is. I think it might have started with the car companies that, you know, people didn't want to give up their SUVs. If you remember a few years ago, there was a lot of talk about the SUVs and how bad they are for the environment and they eat so much gas and it's so wasteful. And I think that whole kind of culture around um, cars, I think that's where it started, this kind of misconception about green. And then I think it translated into the green beauty industry. You know, when green beauty products were born a few years ago, People were like, oh, this is such a joke. It'll it'll never work, you know. And now it's a green beauty revolution. It's a billion-dollar industry. We've got big companies using the same language now on their conventional products that we see on eco products. So for me, I have I have like two personalities. Sometimes I'm very soft-spoken and, oh, I'm, you know, like I'm trying to help somebody go green. I'm trying to, you know, tell them about the impacts. And then there's other times where I'm like, listen, just stop using it. <laughs> Here's the tips. Just follow these things and you'll be fine. So I, you know, I go back and forth because, and mostly it's from frustration. So all of the segments and all of the things that I write about, whether it's on television or on my website are, I'm trying to put very practical things in motion uh, because I think that when you tell people like, you know, there's so much waste and it's killing our planet and people feel overwhelmed and they'd rather just deny it or just kind of say, yeah, I, my, I'm, I'm not going to even bother with that, you know? So it's, it's slowly trying to change the messaging from the mainstream media, you know, mainstream everything and trying to let people understand that going green is not going to cost you more money. It's going to save you money in the long run. So you might need to buy something up front once, but you're not going to be buying that product every single week. It's going to last you much longer. So that's going to save you money for sure. 
And it sounds like we've been, I guess part of the challenge is we've been primarily focusing on what people have to sacrifice in order to live healthier and more sustainable lifestyles instead of focusing on what we can gain and uh, the positives that we can gain from you know, being being more connected to nature, being healthier, feeling more connected uh, to people on a human to human basis. So it's like, are the things that we're giving up more important than the things that we would be able to gain if we were to take these steps? No, I think you're 100 percent right. I think that I think that we tend to focus on the negative for sure. I think we tend to focus on exactly what you're saying. Whereas if we shifted our focus to the good that would come out of this, you know, I, I've, I've been reading this book called Slow um, by a woman uh, by the name of Brooke McCalvery. It's such a great book because it's teaching me so much. And I thought I knew a lot and I do know a lot, but I still have a lot to learn. And it's a very interesting book because it talks about decluttering your life and kind of the slow movement. And it's not something that can happen over Overnight. And I think that's another thing that people don't understand is that the concept of going green is not like going home, opening everything up, throwing everything out. It's that's not what it's about. It's about slowly getting rid of things that you that you don't need. And when you actually have less stuff, you actually have more space in your brain and in your psyche because you're not cluttered with all these things. And another great example is lots of people have been watching that show, um, that Marie Kondo show on Netflix, Tidying Up. There's lots of things that are really great about that show and and some things that I think are, are missing from that show. One of them being just our obsession with buying stuff. And you really get to see I think it's very well done because it's very character driven. And you really get to see how much stress is related to the stuff that we own. And when you get rid of all this stuff, and there's definitely ethical ways to get rid of that stuff, um, which is also not addressed in that show. Our society is, everything is so rushed. Everything is so, everything has to be right now, right now. We're constantly, you know, up, uh, what do you call it? Refreshing our feeds. And we expect our lives to be like that. And our brains I haven't caught up with the social media and the the constant barragement of stimulus that we get. You know, our brains are not quite there yet. By getting rid of all your stuff or not buying so much stuff, you actually open yourself up to so many beautiful things in the world that you didn't expect before. And I think when people start doing it, they realize that like, go, you know what, don't go home and go into your garage and say, okay, I'm going to start with this room. Like that's, that's an impossible task to achieve (laughs) in one day. Go home and pick one drawer. What can you, what can you get rid of in that drawer? How can you get rid of it? Um, you know, mindfully. And, And that's the thing I think is that we're so used to having everything right now, right now, right now, and going green and going zero waste takes time. It takes time. Um, and it's not something that can happen overnight. And I think people need to really remember that. Well, at this point, you've spent over 15 years reporting on the plight of our planet and uh, sustainable living. What have you changed your mind about in regards to sustainability or our planet situation, if anything? Yeah. So I, I'm going to be super honest with you. I have I have good days and bad days. When you're doing the work that we do, you're reading a lot of stuff that's really bad. You're going to presentations and TED Talks about the environment with with 
groups that are working on the front lines. And there's some days where you feel very disenfranchised and very discouraged, where I think like, oh my gosh, you know, we really are doomed as a people, as a human race. Like we're not getting it fast enough. We have too many people on the planet and we don't have enough planet um, to support. You know, our resources are finite. They're not infinite. And I think people don't realize that. Then on the other side, I meet wonderful people like you and anyone in our in our space. And I feel, you know, a surge of positivity and happiness. But I think what I will say is that the mainstream media has definitely shifted their their focus in the in the last five years in Canada. We used to have a prime minister before the liberal government um, took power. We had a very conservative government. It was very bad for the environment. He was very anti-global warming, very pro big oil. And if you if you were a scientist and you wanted to report on the environment and climate change, you had to get permission. Like There was a lot of really bad stuff going on. And I think since the liberal government took over and have a and and whether whatever you feel about politics, it's this is not about politics for me. It's just literally about the planet. You know, the liberal government has been much more outspoken about climate change and reaching carbon, you know, reducing carbon emissions across the board in Canada. And I think that's allowed the media here in this country country, and I can only speak for Canada because this is where I live, I think people are more receptive to it now. Canadians, I think in general, tend to, especially the media, tend to really follow the government. Like if the government says this is okay, it's okay. They tend to really encapsulate that. And I think there's been a really good shift um, away from that. There really is no debate anymore. Like climate change does exist. And people always say to me, well, it's cold outside. Well, the weather and the climate are, are similar, but actually very different. You know, the weather is one thing, climate change and global warming are another thing completely. They're, they're not the same thing. So I think just awareness, I think there is more awareness today. And that, that does give me um, a little bit of, of hope. And as an environmental journalist, you've covered a wide array of topics within and also intersectional to sustainability. What's the most important connection that you've made between different issues or topics that you've covered? I think it would be water, the water, the ocean. I, I, I think the ocean is in real trouble. And I think the, the connections and the, the, the research that, that I've done, has, has that's really resonated with me. Because we can't see it, we can't really see the effects of it unless you go underwater. People are not really inclined to think about it as much. What I find interesting is, you know, in Toronto, we live on a huge body of water. We live on Lake Ontario and we are very detached from our lakes um, mm. here in this in this part of the world. And I, I think it's because we don't really understand how important they are um, to our ecosystems and to our well-being. You know, it's the biggest freshwater group of lakes in the world. And they're finite. You know, at some point, if we keep polluting them and we keep doing what we're doing, we're going to run out of water. And I think for me, that's what's had kind of the biggest impact on me, I think. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of issues to do with sustainability, part of the challenge is that a lot of these issues are really distant. Like, even though the lake might be in your city or around your city, people still feel disconnected to that just because they don't interact with it or they don't get exposed to it every day. And also the same thing with our forests, wildlife, and um, also social issues like on the other side of the world or even in cities that are close to us, but that we don't get exposed to every day. So given that people are continually 
going about their days, not not necessarily uh, strengthening these connections. How do you think we can better uh, inspire such connections to get people to care and inspire action? I think you have to vote and you have to donate to companies that are aligned with your ethics or your morals or or whatever it is. I think that speaking up, I think having a voice, if you have a voice and you can use it, then use it. Absolutely. Utilizing social media in, in positive ways, not in, you know, negative ways. Social media can be a very negative place as well. But I think, I think awareness is key. I think if you can, you know, go to a high school and give a talk, amazing. If you can get on a television show and do a segment on, you know, five ways to go zero waste, amazing. Can you write your, you know, here we have MPs, um, you know, can you write your local government? Can you write your local city councilor? Become an advocate. If, if there are things that you, you're worried about, speak up about it. Don't sit on the uh, sidelines and hope other people are going to do it because we we're seeing that that's not happening. So it's, Unfortunately, the onus to save the planet falls on the regular person, the consumer, not on big companies, not on big government, whereas where it should be, in my humble opinion. So we've got to get politicians in place that are not afraid um, to talk about these issues and to take on big companies. Um, and I know that that's a very utopian way of thinking, but you know, we have to start one place and one person can make a difference. You, there's been lots of people that, that have been one person that have made a huge difference in the world. And I think that we just need to continue to speak up. If there's companies that you know that are on the front lines that are helping, you know, reduce water pollution or helping to save the caribou, as an example, if that's something that you care about, then align yourself with those companies. Go out, donate, meet them. I think that's really the best way at this point for us to facilitate a global movement. And it sounds like we've definitely come a long way since when you first started talking about this and there weren't that many people interested in it or we just didn't get a lot of mainstream coverage on these topics. But altogether with our individual actions, our own voices, our own circles of influence that we can participate in, it sounds like we do have the potential to really shift mainstream narratives and popular culture so that sustainability can become a core of everything that we do. I think so. You know, I always say to people, what could be more important when you when you hear the global warming debate? I say, you know, is it is it the fault of humans or isn't it? And at, at this point, who the hell cares. The fact is it's happening. So it doesn't matter at this point whose fault it is. Was it our fault? Was it the Americans? Was it the Canadians? Was it the Indians? Was it the Chinese? It does not matter at this point. The point is, is that we are seeing major shifts in climate and those shifts are going to have profound effects on our lives and our future generations. So in my opinion, we need to stop arguing about these minutiae, this silly minutia that people get caught up in and start thinking about ways to make a real difference. And if you have kids or you have grandkids, you know, what kind of legacy are you leaving for them? We are at a point in our society where we've had more mass animal extinction than ever before. We, we have more pollution in the water and the air than ever before. And if we don't find solutions, tangible things that 
that we can do quickly, we're going to turn this planet into a very uninhabitable place. And I always use the example of a fishbowl. You know, people think that we can scoop everybody out of the fishbowl, clean it up and put everybody back in. And it just doesn't work that way. The air that I breathe here in China, it's the same air that they're breathing. It's just moving around, moving around all the time. It comes back to that disconnection from nature. That if you can get out into nature and once a week for 30 to 40 minutes, weather permitting, obviously, and make sure it's safe, it has a profound effect on your life because you realize how slow nature is and how fast our lives are moving. Well, thank you so much for sharing your expertise. We will be sure to get outside more this week to reconnect with nature. (laughs) And we look forward to learning more from you and all the simple tips that you have for us. So what's next for you and where can we follow you online? So online, I'm at the ecohub.ca or just my name, Candace Batista um, on um, Instagram. I would love to tell people about my new um, challenge that I launched that is still really, really relevant right now. Um, So it's a 30 day uh, challenge on how to detox your home. Each week you get a very detailed email on a specific topic plus homework, plus a checklist. So in the first week, for example, we look at indoor air pollution. What can you do to mitigate it? There's there's tangible things that you can do right now. And then there's kind of wish list things that you can do in the future. Week two, we look at toxic cleaners. Week three, we look at kitchen, like greening up your kitchen. And then in week four, we touch on bedding, which is really, really important as well. So it's totally free. You can sign up for it at my website. I've had some great feedback on it. And it's just a wonderful thing to educate people on the kind of stuff that we're exposed to in our homes and what they can do about it. And then I've got a bunch of stuff coming up for um, Earth Day as well. This podcast wouldn't be here without you, Green Dreamer, so just wanted to extend my sincere gratitude for you being here. A few people asked if we have a Patreon page so they can support the show on an ongoing basis, and the answer is now yes. To become one of our first original 100 Green Dreamer supporters, where you'll get bonus monthly Q&A episodes, be invited to join our upcoming private support community, and also forever be written down in my books to receive early previews and discounts to everything that we and I work on in the future. Future, just head to greendreamer.com slash Patreon. Your support will really help make it possible for us to continue the show and share more resources on our website. And really, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for your support, whether through Patreon or just by simply being here. Again, to become one of our original 100 Green Dreamer supporters, just head to greendreamer.com slash Patreon. That's spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. For now, to our final five. Let's power through. What's an uplifting or enlightening social media account or publication you follow? Well, it would definitely be yours. Oh, thank you so much. (laughs) Totally mutual. Uh, I find you just a a breath of fresh air. I really do. I think that you have such a beautiful energy. And I think that the way you talk to people on your stories and and the way you position your posts and what you have to say is very, very um, connecting. Like I feel very connected when when I read your stuff. And um, I'm not just saying that because you're interviewing me. (laughs) I do have a a really deep appreciation for the the work that you do. And then from a, a bigger organization, I like Watch, uh, Green Matters. Those are two kind of really interesting ones as well for me. Thank you so much for that. I learn so much for you all the time. So really grateful for your presence and everything you do as well. Um, what do you tell yourself to stay positive and inspired? 
I just remind myself of how beautiful this planet is and how much this, how, how much this planet has to offer. And the fact that without the water and the soil, I wouldn't be able to be alive at all. And also having an appreciation and a respect for other sentient beings that, that live on this planet as well. What are you working on right now for your health? I'm trying to drink more water. What are you working on right now to live more sustainably? I'm trying to go zero waste in the bathroom, but it's proving to be very difficult. (laughs) Um, I'm pretty much zero waste in a lot of areas of my home, but there are some areas that are quite challenging. And that's just because the products that we use, we get very attached to those products. And I'm just as guilty of that. Even though it's a green product, it still comes in packaging. I'm really trying to work at um, mitigating the amount of plastic that I use in the bathroom. What makes you most hopeful about our planet right now? I think people like us talking to people like you, um, reaching out to people on social media and just seeing more, more exposure and more mainstream coverage of, of larger events that affect all of us. And what final words of wisdom do you have for us as green dreamers? Just do it. Honestly, like if you're not sure where to start, just pick a room in your house and start there. Just start somewhere. Just start somewhere. And it could be anywhere, wherever you would like to start with first. Green Dreamer, thank you so much for tuning in. You can become one of our original 100 Green Dreamer supporters at greendreamer.com slash Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You can find the two tweetable takeaways from this interview and the full show notes at greendreamer.com slash 118 for episode 118. You can reach me with feedback on how I can improve the show for you through the website's contact page. And as always, you can come say hello to me on Instagram at Kamea Shane, as well as on our show's official account at Green Green Dreamer podcast. Finally, as we're wrapping up, just remember, now more than ever, our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and I will catch you later, Green Dreamer.